Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. with another Tay and Todd Washington football team podcast. Todd, we are here. Training camp, football's in the air. Brian Fitzpatrick, couple couple uh, re-signings with, with Jonathan Allen and, and Logan Thomas. Hey, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. I know <laughs> we're going Thursday night, but Todd, how you feeling? It's finally here. So it's like, like today is the official start of like, just everything until the Super Bowl, really. Like, right. even though it's no games yet, it's like it's it's just real football happening. So I'm excited. I can't wait. I'll be down there tomorrow and then Friday all day, and then I'll see you there tomorrow. So I'm man, but we finally made it out of that. It's it felt like yeah. it was long, maybe just because we was. were so like it anticipating it so much. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, and then you've got the contract extensions, Landon. I mean, not Landon. <laughs> not landed logan and john allen uh in one word how do you feel about both of those uh let's go john allen first i love the john allen one i think he's your your key cog on the d-line i think he obviously he, he got chasing and montez is the most talented maybe even pain maybe but you, mm. you got to look at character wise and he's the key cog on that i think he puts it all together he's the guy that's going to keep those guys accountable he has the military background I just love him. I love him. I love the signing. Yeah. Perfect. And it looked like a little discount. I mean, hey, it, was, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was It was over four years, 18, over five years, 16. So, yeah, yeah it was a pretty good deal. Um, what about Logan Thomas? Logan Thomas, I like that one as well. My concern is he's a little bit older, but I know they've mentioned that he tight ends have pretty long, uh, pretty good longevity. So right. I think he deserved it. I think he deserved it with, without a doubt. He earned that, and I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to seeing him in this new offense. Well, well, yeah. with the new, with a better quarterback, right? From what I understand, that one is 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 really two years on top of his current deal. So he added money this year, I believe, and then two okay. extra years. And so, 
yeah, it's, I mean, it was kind of like we talked about, we said two to three max and yeah. it's, it's like two really. So right. I like that they got that stuff taken care of. Um, we'll see who's next. I was kind of surprised. I was naming who could be next. Terry, obviously next year, Dron Payne probably next year. If, if that happens, I mentioned JD McKissick as a name because he kind of did a Logan Thomas sort mm-hmm. of thing. It was a really cheap contract. Uh, a lot of people were like, oh, no, J.D. McKissick, you can let him walk. No need to pay him. You can replace him easily. I'm not so sure about that. I, I, was like, I mean, just for one, he, I mean, he had 80 receptions, and you don't want him to have that many, but he's a really good yeah. third down and receiving back. Also, mm-hmm. he will be very, very cheap to resign. Yeah. He exactly. probably would be like $3 million a year, probably like a three-year $9 million, something yeah. just insignificant. So I was kind of surprised by how many people said you could just replace – his production on the street, you get rid of JD McKissick. The only running back you have as of right now is Antonio Gibson. So right. I don't know that I agree with that, but um, we'll see who's next. I'm sitting I outside. Think I can see them. I can see them putting Patterson, maybe trying to develop him into that role for next year. I don't know. I mean, maybe I just, I wonder, I, I know he has some receiving skills, but I just know that, uh, you know, Scott Turner likes that in his running backs yeah, and sure. JD McKissick is that yeah, all yeah. the way through and through. Um, I'm sitting outside just because, you know, it's a, it's a nice day. It's hot, but I figured I'll, I'll get some fresh air because I spent too much time in the house. Um, okay, so training camp is happening as we speak, as we're recording. Just so a couple of the main things. Uh, they started off with, or I guess, they're you know, they try out different combinations, but they started off one defensive with Landon Collins at strong safety and Cameron Curl at free safety. That's kind of cool. I think they switched out Bobby McCain there too, but Cameron Curl can play free safety, maybe not full time, but he can play it. So they're sure. going to have them both on the field. And then I think you'll like this one, uh, Jamin Davis at Mike linebacker. Yes, I love that, that makes sense to me. When you draft a guy at nineteen and you don't have a middle linebacker, you yeah. kind of want him to be able to be your middle linebacker, right? Right. right. Because mm-hmm. it starts that you kind of build your defense inside out, right? Sure. So having that, that if he can be a, a good, strong, at least this microphone yeah. is killing me uh <laughs> if you can have a good strong center to your defense then hey that's how you do it so yeah. i thought that was pretty cool uh, i don't know if there's any other things you've seen or touch on um yeah I mean, brown looks really big i mean he looks yeah huge. I, yeah he looks, uh, he does. <laughs> so I, I i think he's gonna have a great year um uh i think he's gonna I think he's on a really good year. Also with uh, Curtis Samuel and Pup, I'm a little concerned yep. about that. Right. And the all right. and mini camp, I didn't really mention it, but I was a little concerned, and I'm hoping that it's not like I think of the Santana Mosses and the Deshaun right. Jacksons we've had in the past and those lingering issues. I'm just Paul Richardson. Hoping that, yeah, Paul Richardson. You know, I'm just hoping that it doesn't linger. And hey, we have enough depth that he doesn't have to rush back. I mean, right. So right. just exactly. take your time with him. Yeah, that is for sure. I'm definitely concerned about that. <laughs> I, I imagine we're not going to see him in the preseason at all, right? right? I bet he'll, I bet he'll be able to practice some, but I bet we don't see him till week one. Yeah. And the only upside of that is, you know, some of these younger guys get a chance to play. Right. Um, uh, you know, as Jalen Morgan from Bleeding BNG pointed out, that Ron Rivera is kind of talking like Cam Sims is is not just a lock, but almost like a number two. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious to see how they. Uh, I guess, unleash the wide receiver core, especially if mm-hmm. Curtis Samuel is missing some time, who's kind of, who's filling that role there. Cause we kind of assume it will be, you know, Deami Brown, the third round pick or whatever, but it might be Cam Sims. It might be. Yeah. And I think he's earned that. Um, 
I think, you know, so we'll be just, you know, trying to update you live as camp goes on. Like I said, I'll be out there tomorrow uh, morning, Friday morning. We'll be at the walkthroughs and stuff. And so it's just exciting that there's real live action to talk about. Obviously, yeah. we're hoping for no. Um, and, you know, that's all we can do. <laughs> yeah. That's all we can do. But <laughs> one week from Friday, you've got the um, the, the Friday night football and then six days from then you've got the first preseason game and then we're right. just off and rolling. Right. Uh, as always check out our sponsors done pro financial for all your credit needs. And they're working on something new and exciting. We'll let you know about that once it gets released and then hot chicken kitchen. I need to go there. It's been way too long. I need to make a trip back yeah, out there. Uh, we had a really cool interview with Scott McLuhan, former general manager here in Washington with the 49ers spent years with the Seahawks, built them, helped them build their Super Bowl team with Russell Wilson and the and the uh, 49ers built up a defense that they had in the mid 2000s. Um, I know he's lost the respect of some fans in Washington, but he's he's very much a respected NFL mind and scout sure. and personnel executive. And so, a conversation we had where we didn't just talk Washington football; we just we talked the inner workings of NFL teams and front offices. That was cool, and um, and we did talk some Washington too. He loved their draft class, so that part was really cool. So I think we're gonna go right into that interview here, and I hope you enjoy. We are very excited about the guest we have on right now. He is a longtime NFL general manager, front office executive, scout. He is NFL through and through. It runs in his veins, and we're very excited to have him. The one and only Scott McLuhan. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Well, you got to figure it's football time, so it's an exciting time for everybody. Right, right. We can almost we can almost smell it. Training camp is has started in some places. For other teams, is just a couple days away. And so, we wanted to talk to you and kind of talk. Uh, you know, we are we are fans of Washington football, but we wanted to talk to you about some behind the curtains. Uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff just as being an executive in NFL teams, multiple teams like you've been in and just your experiences and, you know, that sort of thing that we think fans are interested in. So we're excited and we appreciate your time. Yeah, certainly. Let's, let's get after it. Okay. So my first question for you, uh, let's just go back. At what point did you know being a scout, being in the NFL as, you know, as a front office executive, as a GM was what you wanted to do? And then how did you go about getting your first opportunity? Um, well, for, I was very lucky. I, I was born into football. My father, when it was all said and done, spent 47 years with the Raiders. Um, six as a player and then the rest as a personnel guy. So I was born into football. Uh, it was my first love, hands down. Um, ended up having a couple injuries growing up. Ended, ended up playing some baseball. But I knew I always wanted to be in personnel just from the standpoint. And it's funny, not, not coaching, but just personnel. Just got to love football. I love mm-hmm. uh, studying players. I love studying schemes. I love trying to understand why so and so is better than so and so, and maybe they weren't in college and stuff like that. I'm um, following stats and that kind of stuff. But I, I, I knew when I was young. Like I said, I, I loved football. I loved watching it. I never got enough of it. Um, I studied the players. I kept all the cards. I studied the stats. So mm-hmm. I knew growing up that I, that's what I wanted to do. And again, I was lucky enough to have a father that showed me the ropes. Um, met a lot of influential people while going through it. When I was younger, from the Ron Wolf to, you know, John Madden, Tom Flores, a lot of Raider people, and uh, was able to get into it because of that. Um, it's a hard, hard, very hard business to get into, but I was lucky to 
and the father got my foot in the door, and then I took off from there. Gotcha. Okay, and I'm sure it's it's tough to get into it, but once you get in, even if you have some help, you got to put in the work to to get to the top. Uh, so you've been there. I have a question, and it's about team building, right? So for team building, the front office, the coaching staff, the head coach, you know, that all needs to be in sync, right? Especially as it comes to acquiring players and, and that sort of thing. How does that chain of command and that chain of communication look when everything is kind of right and it works and, and how the, the best teams do it? And then how does it look when it's wrong? Certainly, you know, I've been lucky enough, the organizations I've been with kind of all have similar structure meaning that everybody kind of knows their role and knows their pecking order in the line. Um, you know, as an area scout, it's totally different than being a GM. You know, of course, I started as a low, low area scout and worked my way up and enjoyed it, loved it, and knew the pecking order and knew where I stood. But I think once you get to the top, um, you know, you never forget where you come from, first and foremost. Mm. But second of all, you understand it's not about individual. Um, you know, it sounds cliche. A lot of people say they don't think they really mean it, but they do. It, it's, it's, it's a team aspect, not just on the mm-hmm. field, but off the field. Mm-hmm. Um, are you always going to agree in history? Absolutely not. Um, do you wish you always agreed and agreed upon stuff? You do. But that also means I don't think you're, you're showing your true emotions because it's not an exact science. The whole business isn't. And everybody's going to see players in a different aspect. But I was lucky enough to understand ownership's ownership. Of course, they're writing the checks. They're they're the head honcho. As, you know, I've been like a Green Bay. There wasn't really one owner, mm-hmm. um, which was unique. But then, of course, we, you know, with Seattle, there was with the Forty ers there was, and with the Washington Football Team, of course, there was. But uh, you know, you know, that's the start of it. But I think the GM and the head coach's um, relationship is the second most important one in the building, besides the head coach and the quarterback. Uh, I really mm-hmm. do, and I think. It has to be almost like brother to brother, meaning you're not always going to see this the same way. You're going to have arguments. You're going to get mad at each other. You're going to get upset with each other. But you're also, when a day's said and done, you know you're in it together. And you know that if you show weakness, it trickles down, you know, through the directors, through the vice presidents, through the area scouts, through the assistant coaches, through the strength and equipment and all that. So I think there's got to be passion, which, of course, there is, but it's got to be an understanding that, we're in this together, but we're also in it to make us better as a whole and not as an individual. It's never going to be about me or about you. And they, the media wants to make it that way at times. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, if you don't lose sight, that listen, we're gonna we're gonna have good days. There's no doubt about. It. But you know what? We're gonna have bad days too. No, no doubt about it. And what we have to do is try to prolong the good days if possible. But all we gotta get through the bad days quicker, and that comes by us communicating, us fixing the problems together. And if it's the GM and the owner and the head coach talking, or if it's the GM, you know, just speaking with the owner, no one's trying to go behind anybody's back, and everybody knows they got the best for each person in their mind when they're trying to make decisions. And once you get that relationship going, again, there's days where it almost comes to fist fights. It really does because you're so competitive and you have so much passion for trying to win games. And it's not like basketball, it's not like baseball where you can, you know, have two bad weeks and understand, listen, we got a lot of games left. We can get out of some be good. Football, it's week in, week out, one game. And it's do or die. And mm-hmm. You live for that Sunday or Monday night or Thursday night, whatever. Um, and sometimes you have two to three weeks where you're winning and you can't be anything going wrong. Things at home are going great. Things, kids are doing good in school. Everything's perfect. 
you go three or four game losing streak, no one wants to talk to you, but he's staring at your funding, no one in the building wants to know who you are, what you are. You know, so that's that's when the test comes through and there's no way around it. You're, you're gonna have the tough times and that's when I think good organizations that stay stable, that have, you know, a consistent owner, that have a consistent GM are able to keep a head coach for multiple years and mm-hmm. I think those in the long run are the ones that you see in, you know, eight point things out, like Pittsburgh, you know, mm-hmm. with what they've done for head coaches. It's just right. phenomenal. That's what's with ownership and that's with stability. And that's not that change is always better. You know, when you have a child and they're going through issues, you don't just want to change it out. Well, we us go to free agency and find a new one. No, you've got to figure the problem out. You've got to identify the problem. Then you've got to find a way to work together to get through the problem to the best of your ability. And sometimes that is change. But I think my personal opinion, I'm old school, is change is always the last resort. It's not the quick fix because mm-hmm. it makes fans happy, it sells tickets, it sells jerseys. No, it's about wins and losses. Right. And you got a lot of people investing in their entire livelihood, not just from the personnel side, but coaching side, player-wise, and players' families, and coaches' families. Everybody's in, you know, and it affects not just the, the person in front of you, it affects a lot of people around them. So I think if you always have that in mind, Knowing there's going to be good days and bad days that work together, you're going to have more good than bad. And I think in the NFL, as proven out year in and year out, more wins than losses, you're doing okay. Right, right. That's what it comes down to, and it's crazy how winning seems to cure all. That's not that's not hyperbole. It really does seem to be the case somewhat. Uh, yes. So kind of in the same vein, I've always been curious about this, right? So on the front office side as a scout and then as a general manager, right, you're doing a work, you know, during the season, during the college season, which is during the NFL season, preparing for the draft. Uh, the coaches, you know, they're they're working on the team. They don't have time to do that necessarily during the season as much, I'd imagine. But then they have to be able to get a chance to get their input in once they're able to do their studying. And how does that process look like? And, you know, are there situations where a coach comes in and he – he says, I like this guy, and the scouts have been doing all this background work, and they get frustrated because they've done all the work, but it's kind of getting overruled. I'm just wondering how that dynamic works. Well, yeah, there's lots of that question. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a good question. Um, you know, during the season, you, you, you have certain departments. Like, you have your college personnel department, which is usually made of, of a college director, mm. maybe one or two national scouts, and then area scouts. Um they're 100% doing college. You know, of course, they're, they're, they're following the team. They're watching the team on Sunday. They go to games there in the area, all that stuff. But their main priority is college, college, college. And that's what they're paid to do. And that's what they're paid to know. And they understand that coming into the mix. Um, you know, from the standpoint, then you got a pro personnel department. You know, it's not as big as the college department because it's less players. But their whole job is, you know, they have a certain amount of NFL teams they have to track. Um, certain positions they're tracking more so than others because what's coming up in, with the roster and free agency and the depth of certain positions. So that's their main course is 100% pro, pro, pro. Now, coaches don't touch it. The, the NFL coaches don't touch anything mm-hmm. during the season. Now, they, of course, watch ESPN, of course. They mm-hmm. read papers or not papers anymore, I guess, <laughs> the Internet. They understand what guys are really standing out. Running backs, you know, ran for 350 yards and six touchdowns in the game. They'll all come to you every now and then and say, well, so-and-so's playing pretty well, or so-and-so, this university's doing a good job. But they're not watching tape, they're not doing reports, they're not concentrating at all, because they got enough to deal with, with right. the band scouting, with the next opponent, and all that. So, and the thing that's nice about it, from the standpoint of the whole process, is once the season's over, say the playoffs or whatever, and once you have your closing or your exit interviews or, you know, with, with the players, 
they jump right into the college, and they love it because it's totally different from what they used to do. Because pro, mm-hmm. you're watching good versus good, no matter what. I mean, it could be a team that has five wins compared to a team that has twelve wins. Still, you know, counts versus counts. College is totally different, you know, because you don't know, and that's what makes the college personnel so tricky in such not an exact science. Is competition level, who's playing who, you know, who, what guys going against this guy, this team versus that team stuff. But there's plenty of time for them to do their tape evaluation do their reports, you know, the all-star games now, and now, you know, hopefully this year with the pandemic, hopefully been in the past, you know, the combine and interviews and all that good stuff. They learn more and more, but I always emphasize when I was, a, you know, a GM or, you know, a vice president, player personnel, whatever, that there's a respect factor. There's respect from the scouts and mm-hmm. coaches because they see certain things they're looking for in certain positions and their scheme, and I understand that, and that's great. But also, they got the coach got to respect to the scouts because they're out there. They're the ones on the on the road that you never talk to, you never see. They're doing so much; it's not even funny trying to, you know, fulfill their responsibilities. But also, they have family, they have children, they have mm-hmm. stuff that they have to worry about too. So, I always make sure there's a respect factor back and forth. And again, disagreements are good because if, you, if everybody's on the same page, then it's like, really, are we really studying this guy enough? That I know there's weaknesses, but I think it's so important for the scouts to understand from the coaches. The coaches have a scheme, and they're looking for a certain type of defensive end or a certain type of, a type of Sam back or, or this kind of tight end or this kind of X or Y. You know what I'm saying? So you yeah. got to know where they're coming from because they let that play into their reports a lot, which is great because if you're taking a guy in the first three rounds, four rounds, you're hoping they're starting. If not, you're one, you're two or three. But they're, they're going to say, this is why I think he'll start for us year two. And that's coming from a coach. And that's good for a scout to hear because scout might think, well, I was trained, you know, if you're five, nine and a half corner, you can only be a nickel corner. You can't be on the outside. Mm-hmm. Thing, where you might have a coach say, listen, no, my defense would play this way, this way, this way. Mm-hmm. He's going to be on the field 45% of the snaps. You're like, okay. Well, if that's the case, now he's not a fourth rounder. Maybe he is a second rounder. Gotcha. Because we under, you know, but. Then again, that's where going back to the ownership and about having structure and having things in place, when you're changing coaches every two to three years or have to change coordinators, now some get jobs and go on and become head coaches, which is awesome. Yeah. But, you know, change isn't always good because now all of a sudden there's might be guys you drafted two years ago that were fit in the system. Well, now you're going from a 4-3 to a 3-4. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like, whoa, right. whoa, so... You know, we got 10 guys that don't fit this defense <laughs> that we think are pretty good players because they're either backups and quality special teams players or they fit that scheme. Well, now you've got to flip-flop and go the other direction. Right. Well, he's not going to fit this. He's not going to be on the field. He'll be on the field 20% of the snatch. Like, wow, we're paying him a lot of money. He definitely has got trade value. You know, so, right. again, it goes back. But it, it's a very unique dynamic. But I think as long as there's respect mutually between coaches and personnel and understanding that we're trying to get this done together, I'm not trying to overshine you because I'm a personnel guy and I've spent time on the road and I know more than you. Not at all. Agree to disagree, but understand when it's said and done, the whole building takes ownership of that pick when that pick is made. Because I've been in both situations. And, and when it's not complete ownership from coaches, that sometimes that player is not treated the same in training camp early on in his career. And it's not right, but it's human nature because one coach said, well, his pride and ego said, I know what I'm doing. I've been coaching 20 years in the NFL. This young scout needs to tell me what I, I should shouldn't be doing players. You know, so you got to mm. be careful of that because it's out there. It's like, again, it's human nature. Yeah. But 
you have to take ownership as a group and understand we're in this together no matter what. Right, okay. It's a team on the field and it's a team in the building. Go ahead, Tate. So when, approach, when approaching second contracts, when is the best time, do you think, is to extend that contract? And is there any such thing as a hometown a hometown discount? <laughs> I wouldn't say hometown discount, but <laughs> I, I, I don't think I was a fan brand. I was, I was young. You know, as my, well, when I first took the job, I was there the vice president player personnel, but I was running the personnel. I was running the drafts, running the free agency, the whole package. Um, of course, coaches were highly involved, don't get me wrong, but I was making a lot of decisions. And, you know, I was I was starting to extend guys early. You know, the Frank Gores, the Patrick Willis, the Joe Staley, the Laney Walker, you know, guys, Sean Golson, people, good friends of mine, older personnel, GM slash vice president player personnel, were like, whoa, whoa, slow down. You're bucking the system in the NFL because I was trying to get done after the second year. Mm. And when, when I first started, you had to wait after the third, no matter what. Um, so as soon as I could, I was doing it. And people were like, whoa, whoa, you're getting these agents' ideas now because I run a team and I have good players. But I want to see, but I'm going to wait another year to make sure they don't get a, an injury that's going to affect their next five years. Or I want to make sure they're good off the field this next year before I extend them. Well, I think I was too young to look at it that way. I was looking at really good players that I identified, not just on the field, but in the locker room, mm-hmm. in the offseason. You know, high-character guys, high-work-ethic guys, guys that I wanted, you know, because I'm not winning the San Fran. You know, there's a reason why we got the first pick, you know, and not knocking the regime prior to. They just had some struggles, you know, with injuries and through the draft and all that. Where I wanted to start, I knew I was going to win right away, but I want to start building it. You know, the character, the Alex Smith type guy, the Frank Gore type guy. You know, to just, listen, we're not going to be the maybe match the measurables. Everybody's talking about the high weight speed and all that. But I tell you, we're going to get football players that are consistent guys that you can win with. But you need a group of them, not just one of them. And then I started identifying those guys. And that's when I feel comfortable. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give a five-year extension this early to the Frank Gore. Well, he's a running back. You know, their, their, their career longevity is three years. I said, well, he's already surpassed that. And coming out with his medical issues, he's a different animal. This guy, you're going to have to cart him off the field every weekend. His friend must be out there type of guy. And I wanted to build that kind of environment in the locker room, you know, with the fan base realizing, listen, it's not a quick fix. But you know what? These guys are good football players. These guys are fun to watch. They're not peaks and valleys. They're not up and down. They're consistent guys. So I think once you identify and you know it's not just the player, but it's the person you know, and you want him to be the face of the organization. You want people to talk about him. You want him to be the type of guy going to ring of fame. Type, you know, because he does it on Sundays, but he does it also in the offseason. He also does it during the week of practice with the young guys, getting them better. So when you see those guys, because the draft's the draft. You got first-round picks every year and say, that's great. I got three first-round picks this year. We're going to get really good. Well, you know what? You're lucky if you hit two of the three. Meaning that second of the, the, the one guy is going to be great second one you hope is good, and the third one you hope is not considered a bust, you know, so you can't just go in and think of the amount of picks you have early in the draft that you're going to build a good team. you got to build, not just from the player's standpoint, you got to find that it factor in, in the player and draft that it factor along with talent so you can identify it. So you want them for the second contract and possibly their third contract. Mm-hmm. Now you're hitting home runs. And now you got a consistent team. Now you got a playoff contender of the year. Yeah, I, I think that that San Francisco team was built very, very well. Um, uh, but hitting off that, you mentioned Alex Smith. How close were you from, how, how close was the debate from Rodgers and Smith? It was very close. 
as, as a matter of fact, that's my first draft I really ran. You know, I've, been, I've been around a lot of them prior to that. Ran by the Ron Woods and the Ted Thompson and stuff, which was excellent to see him go through it. Um, you know, and it wasn't just me personally, but going into that year and going through the year, and of course, you know, they all had great senior, junior years, whatever year they were in school, but there wasn't one you just sat back and said, like a Trevor Lawrence. Mm. There's a dead set, number one. When his time's available, he's going number one. That year there wasn't. As a matter of fact, you know, you have a couple quarterbacks, very intriguing. Um, you know, now you're down to possibly a receiver, you know, possibly a corner. You know, and, and we talk about that going number one overall. You're like, wow, that's a unique draft. Yeah. You know, there's always there's <laughs> always somebody up there. It's like this guy's a no miss, no matter what. Take him, you set. And there wasn't. You know, now of course Aaron proven out to be well, well, well worth that. Plus many more. You know, he's gonna be a first ballot Hall of Famer, which is awesome. You know, but every circumstance is different. You know, and if Aaron would have came in like Alex did to the worst team in the league rebuilding offensive line, trying to play young guys. You know, Alex had five coordinators in five years. Wasn't his fault, OCs. You know, the first two with, you know, with Mike McCarthy got a head job with Green Bay. Mark Turner the next year got a head job, you know, with San Diego at the time. You know, so you can, you, you, it's, it changes everything. And, you know, even with Trevor Lawrence, you know, because I remember I signed David Carr at the end of his career, and he told me stories where I signed him just about him being number one overall pick in Houston. How the team... O-line was was so, you know, so young and so inexperienced and the team was so young and inexperienced that he lost all his confidence really as a quarterback after his second year in Houston just because he had no more mechanics because he couldn't use his mechanics but as soon as the ball was snapped, his first thought was get out of harm's way. Mm-hmm. You know, three-step drop, four-step, or five-step drop, whatever. He's thinking, roll out. Which one might roll out this time so I could get the ball. So a lot of that plays into it and I'm not saying everyone wouldn't have a you know, same kind of career with San Fran and Green Bay, but, you know, all that plays into it. And, and I think, you know, you looking back, hindsight's always 2020, of course, you know, but I, I, we made the pick for the organization that we felt was the best pick at the time, knowing that not just as a talent, but as a person to go through the tough, tough, tough times that lie ahead of us, you know, we felt, you know, as a group that Alex was the guy. You know, and I was probably the ringleader of it, which I, 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 I don't take fault for it. I don't take blame for it. I don't take, you know, admiration for it. I, that was the way we went, and that, that's the way it ended up. So, you know, a lot of people think, like Trevor Lawrence, you know, no matter what, this, this is a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. He's set. He's going to be a pro bowler. He's going to be a Hall of Fame. He's Peyton Manning. He's Aaron Rodgers. He's that. He's got a lot to prove, going from college to NFL. But you need people around him. You need structure in place, players in place, coaching staff in place, schemes in place. You don't need a new ear or a new voice in his ear every year changing things up um, because they're not gaining the ground they need to have each year with experience. They're getting better because it's very, very tough, you know, league to play in, especially a quarterback. Yeah. Um, so a lot of things happen and play into and all that, but. Uh, you know, you're always going to have to look back and, oh, man, I wish I would have drafted him or I wish I would have drafted him. And, and, and you, you can do that and you should do that as a good personnel guy because you can learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. Why did I miss this guy or why, did, why didn't I see this and that guy that he's brought to the table that I didn't think he could? You know, and a lot of time for me personally, it was I knew the guy from a talent standpoint. I didn't know the guy from a person standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so, so important nowadays. And that's something I learned 
yearly. I, you know, I've been 25 plus years now in the league, and I'm still learning new things. But the one thing, if I could go back and change, would be just knowing those players. You know, especially the early on picks that you invest a lot of money. Just knowing them. You know, you can watch tape and see talent. This guy can. This is what he can do. This is what he can't do. We got that nail. But what's going to make him go from average to good, good to great, and great to special? And that's inside them. That's in, inside them. That's in, that's in their heart. That's in their mind. That's in their work ethic. It's in their soul. And that is so hard to figure out. And you got, you get, you know, you can hire, you know, psychiatrists to talk to them, psychologists to talk to them. You can, you know, everything. And if, if somebody can figure out how to do that, they can make as much money as they ever want to make in the NFL because once you identify that, especially the quarterback position, your chance of missing is a lot, lot less. And that's all you're asking for in the personnel, especially in the college draft. Gotcha. So, so when building a team, are you trying to settle the quarterback position first and building around him or build the team and then plug the QB in? Which would you prefer? Which ones would you say is like, that's that's the way to do it? Well, I, 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 if you're building a team, to start a team, like I kind of was in San Fran, where we were, I keep saying I, but it was a group effort and a lot of really good people around me that helped us build that team. It's a Super Bowl team, but you, you, you identify the most important, and the most important guy is the quarterback. Not just from the standpoint, he's touching the ball every offensive snap, but people are looking at him. The media's looking at him. The fans are looking at him. How's he react in certain situations? How's he mature in certain situations? So I think you definitely start, you know, and, and, and I, I can say this, and I can say this with honesty, and, I, and I'm still close friends with Alex and all that. When we took Alex, the first thing I said before we made the pick, and this is months before we made the pick, I said, whichever quarterback we take, I said, he's only going to be as good as the 10 guys around him on offense, 11 guys on defense, 11 guys on special teams, and the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. He's only going to be as good as them. Plain yep. and simple. He's not Dan Marino, okay? He's not Dave Man. He's not John Elwood. Whatever we take, it's not that guy in this draft. But we're not going to pass on the pick. We're going to take a quarterback because that's where we need to start. And okay. But understand, we will only go as far as the people around him. He's, he's not going to win us three or four games on his own. Now, Aaron's proved out that he can do that, you know. But we knew at that juncture that I felt we'll be as good as our running game. As our as our tight end receiver combinations are, as good as our defense is, is getting turnovers and getting us in plus situations, or our special teams, you know, causing turnovers, making you know the punt and kicking, you know, that we're not going to be good because of one guy. We're going to be good because of eleven and eleven and eleven, you know, and, and that's what ended up happening, you know. But it's a process. So if you want a quick fix, you pray there's a really really good quarterback, no brainer coming out that you hit on, and. But again, Trevor's going to be as good as the personnel around him. He's not going to take it over by himself. Those guys are one every decade up best. <laughs> so you just got to always remember in the back of your head, that's a great pick. We feel awesome about it. This is what we wanted. We had the first grade. The coaches are on board. The owner's on board. The personnel's on board. Here we go. That's great. But you guys start playing games last Sunday. Things change pretty damn quick. And you got to be ready for that change. And understand, it's a process. It's not a quick fix at all. Yeah, you go ahead, Todd. So, let's say that there uh, is a player who's on the trade block, someone you're interested in. Can you walk us through, you know, put your general manager hat on for a moment and kind of just give us a behind-the-scenes look of how all of that will transpire and how that trade would come together? Certainly, you know, you usually have an idea, you know, a year prior to, you know, your pro staff, you know, you, you, you keep an eye on what contracts are coming up, who, 
who's who's possibly a cap casualty during like right now during training camp. You know what team do we think you know feel like they're right there and have a chance to make the push for the Super Bowl? Which teams are getting older? You know, have a couple guys that might be cap casualties. Known they're trying to go younger with more numbers instead of higher contracts. So you identify that stuff prior to. But then once you always have a running list each year of possible trade guys because you're always talking to other GMs. You know, directors from a team's always talking. Even area scouts, pro scouts. You know, they're lower on the ring are talking to each other and they'll. Throw something at you. Listen, so and so might be traded. You know, they talk about possibly trading him at the prices, right? Type of thing. So you always got that in the back of your mind. You're always keeping a running list. Your pro director has a running list. Is there possibly a ten cap casualties coming around the league that might happen? So you keep track of that, and you always have working reports on them from each year. Mm. They're, they're graded mid-season. They're graded after the season. They give the overall grade of how they're playing. They got arrows going up for ascending. Arrows going down, meaning descending, meaning. They've reached the peak of their career. They're going down now. Or they got arrow sideways that right now they're in the most you can possibly get. This is what you're going to get. So that all plays into trade. But then it's also how you make the team better. How do you affect that positioning in a positive manner, not just from a talent standpoint, but what kind of person are you bringing in? Is he a selfish guy or is he a team guy? Is he going to rock the boat with what we started, like in San Fran, with younger guys? Is he going to come in and just put his foot down and say it's my way? Or is he going to blend in with everybody? So you have to be really careful, you know, with a trade. A lot goes into it besides just the name and mm-hmm. two picks for one player type thing. Because that's everybody sees and goes, wow, that's a good <laughs> trade. Oh, that's a bad trade. Right. But, again, you got to play into it the person. What are you bringing into the building? What are you bringing into the fan base? What are you bringing into that, to that position alone? You know, because if it's going to be a negative as a personality, but an upgrade from a talent standpoint, is it worth that? Okay, are we a team that's living for this year when Super Bowl and then know we're going to be going down? Or are we a team that is hoping to be there in three or four years? That all plays into it, you know. And the thing that's good about trades with the pro stuff is that you get a good feeling about these guys once they're in the NFL for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Because pe- people, like I said, between amongst teams talk like so-and-so, who's your best worker in the offseason? This is our five best workers. Boom, 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 boom. You know, and you're like, well, how come what they do different? Because you're always trying to get better with your own programs, you know? Right. But you always you always keep track of those kinds of type of guys. So when a trade does come up, there could be a guy like, okay, well, I know so-and-so. Well, he's never there. He, he, he despises off-season workouts. You know, the only time he's there is when it's mandatory. He doesn't want to be there. There's other guys. He lives there the whole year round. He's around, you don't want him around. He's around, he's not supposed to be around type guy. So you get all that stuff, and that all plays into the trade. You know, again, it's like college. The more you can know about the individual and what you're bringing into the, the program, especially in a trade or a high pick, because you want them to be impact players, and impact players sooner than later. And just the talent alone doesn't get you on the field. It will, but you're going to you're gonna flash out pretty quick. It's the whole package that carries you through the tough times. It makes you a, a, a good player for, you know, second, third contract. Okay, uh, so I want to go back to quarterbacks quickly. Uh, you know, being around Washington, it's always a conversation. It has been for forever, just about. But uh, not no specific names or anything. But just wondering, when you're scouting a quarterback, what are the first three boxes that they need to check for you? Well, first and foremost, is it's just leadership, leadership, leadership. And, and you know, again, it's very hard to find out. Um, 
if you can see him play live enough, you get a feel for it on third downs, on turnovers, how they respond on the sideline, who comes talks to them, or the coaches there, or the players there with them. Mm-hmm. I think leadership is gigantic. And then I also think going back, especially when you're doing it from the college standpoint for the NFL draft and for you know to bring in the NFL, I think go back and look at wins and losses, not just in college but in high school. I think that's a vital stack. I think that shows you who's a winner and who's been a perpetual winner and who's going to continue because usually that's ingrained in you. Once you start doing it more and more and more, and that's all you're used to, I think those those guys are very unique. And I think you'll have more success pointing in that direction. And there's not one thing that's going to make a good quarterback or a bad quarterback. There's multiple things to play into it. But I think leadership, I think wins and losses over career. And I think especially – Trends change, trends change in the NFL, and it's going to keep happening. I think right now, overall athleticism, just being able to get out of harm's way. Because mm-hmm. defenses are, are scheming so much and, and so much deception with blitzes and sending guys from here and there and there and trying to just, you know, just, you know, throw off the timing of the play. If you do not have a quarterback that can get out of harm's way, meaning can scramble, that doesn't have to be, you know, a legit 4-5 type guy that, you know, is a great athlete, he's good on the basketball court, you know, can do anything as an athlete, but they need to be able to get out of harm's way. Mm-hmm. And there's certain guys like a Tom Brady, you know, like a Ben Roethlisberger, who never, they consider really good foot athletes, but they got instincts in the pocket, they can slide left, they can slide right, they can step up. If the guy give an instinct to them, that gives them another two seconds. And that's all you need. Right. You know, so, but I think, I think those three things are, are vital. Now, you can ask, Ten different GMs now, past head coaches now, past. They'll all give you, you know, maybe one or two of the same, but the third or fourth, or whatever, is going to be totally different. Mm-hmm. And and that's why it's so interesting and intriguing, and why I don't want to say there's so many busts, but there's so many players that don't live up to what you thought they were going to be. Right. You know, and and these poor quarterbacks nowadays. You saw this last draft; they're going to go. You know, and they might go into the season being a, you know, fourth, fifth round type guy and all of a sudden hit it and have a great mm-hmm. season. Right. You know, and go in the first round. So, so everybody's like, okay, wow. Well, he's a first rounder and he's got to, he's got to have a heck of a career. He's got to get us a couple Super Bowls. Even if we don't win him, he's got to get us there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a first round fix for crying out loud. So, so much is thrown on their shoulders and it's a lot. Right. And half of them are never going to even get close to making it that far in the playoffs or just through more whatsoever. doesn't mean they're not good players. doesn't mean they didn't have good careers. But it's just one of those things you look at, and it's just like, you know, it's, it's just such a dynamic position, and there's so many little intangibles that go into it. And I'm telling you, if you can find a personnel guy that can really figure out quarterbacks mm. and be right more than wrong, right. he'd be – they would flock to him. I mean, you would, I'm serious, you would pay whatever it took to figure, you're paying these guys now, you know, 20, 30, 40 million dollar contracts. You pay a guy 10 million dollars, you can say, if you're right, six out of 10 times on quarterbacks, meaning they're exactly what you say they're going to be in the NFL, either a damn good starter, uh, a solid starter, or just an average, but a great number two for their career. You would love to know that. Because so many times the ones are taken, he's going to be a great start. Now ends up being a good number two. Well, kind of a good number two, but he's bounced around to five teams. You know, so right. it's just it's just it's just such a dynamic and unique position, and so hard to figure out. But I, I think overall leadership. I think the idea of being a winner and knowing you lead the men, mm-hmm. knowing you're touching the ball every offensive snap, and you're finding ways to win games every weekend. 
I think is huge. And it starts in high school, but even starts before high school. You know, and you track that stuff down and you talk to coaches about the leadership and who wants to be around, who wants to take the bull by the horns when the coaches are tired, they're saying the same thing over and over. Who's the next guy to step up? Is it the quarterback? Is he getting guys together? Is he getting them to get to the best of their abilities? And once you start on that, you have a better chance to hit on the guy you pick, but still, it's not an exact science. Right. And, and I've got one follow-up on that. You know, you talk about a guy like Trevor Lawrence, or we look at this past year, uh, some of these quarterbacks, maybe a Mac Jones, a Justin Fields, guys who who played very well, and then who are also on some of the best teams in college football. How do you balance that and the evaluation where saying they played really well, but they also had great talent versus guys who didn't play as well, but didn't have great talent? Well, again, that, that, that's part of the process, you know, and, and the thing about it is people don't look at stats, look at numbers, you know, and right. all that, which, which is fine. It's, not, it's all part of the puzzle. It mm-hmm. definitely is with the analytics nowadays playing into and all that. I understand touchdowns through the interception ratio. I get that. You know, yards per game. I get all that stuff. You know, but then again, like in Alabama, you know, not just with this year's draft class, but with the, you know, with the guys that were freshmen this last year and sophomores this last year who are going to be, you know, first, second, third round picks. It's a great offense. Right. Um, but again, he proved that he could, he could run the offense right. and he could win with the offense and he also took care of the ball. You know, so it gave you an idea, especially with Mac, what, what she had. Um, is he physically going to be the guy to get you there by himself? Absolutely not. Mm. But as we're saying, you don't need that if he's got the other intangibles in him. But the talent around you, again, the same thing the NFL was talking about earlier, they're going to be as good as what's around them. They're not going to be at a school and all of a sudden go from four wins <laughs> to eight wins because he's the starter, mm-hmm. just with the same personnel on the field because – those guys are few and far between. The guys that, you know, that are walking to the system, you can't blame them for being at Alabama. You can't blame Nick for recruiting so well and having so much talent on the field. Right. You know, but he's still touching the ball. He's still winning big games. He's still playing against good competition and having success. But again, now measure the leadership, you know, one-year starter. Okay, does that make you nervous? Well, look who was in front of him before that, you know? So that really is fault. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the win-loss record. Well, you really can't in college because he hasn't had snaps. Now go back to the high school stuff. Right. You know, so that that's part of it. But I think the good personnel guys understand there's certain intangibles that are for sure they have to have. For sure, if they don't have, these could be killers. Um, you know, but again, each guy's different. Each player's different. You know, can it be a guy, you know, Brett Favre, that, you know, out of Southern Miss and don't have any talent around them, but yet the guy's just finding a will and a way to win four games a year. You know, just purely on him alone. Right. You know, making plays on third down, fourth down in the fourth quarter. You know, or is it a Mac that has, you know, three receivers that are all, you know, first round picks when it's all said and done. You got two, three old linemen are going to be first round picks when it's all said and done. You got a hell of a running game. You know, that plays into it. But again, you can't blame him and in disregard for that. You just got to realize that his chances of winning are much better and having success stats-wise are much better than so-and-so at the smaller university. Right, right. That makes sense. Uh, we have a few more questions. I wanted to make sure if, if we need to wrap up now, we can do that. But I wanted to see where we were on time. With me, you're fine. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Tay. So I'm going to give you a couple names. Uh, I want you to either give me one or to describe them when you drafted or when you, I mean, I know you say you don't draft them personally, but as a group drafted them, um, or you give me a sentence. So I'll start off with me being a Washington fan. I'll give you a uh, Matt Jones. 
can't be one thing. Um, <laughs> size, size, um, SEC tape, um, good rookie year. Thing I didn't realize, all said and done, ball security issues. Mm-hmm. Definitely talent up to be in the league, proved that his rookie year. Ball security with head coaches is the kiss of death. Right, right, right. Uh, I'll give you another one, Russell Wilson. Undersized. The thing is funny, you know, I, was, I, was a, I was a big part of that, there's no doubt about it. But John Schneider, who was the GM, he's a good friend of mine, one of the hired me to come in there. Um, he was on him going into, you know, when he transferred, of course, from NC State, got into Wisconsin. John's a big uh, Wisconsin guy. He's from the state of Wisconsin. But he was into him, just what I named, leadership, intangibles, going into the University of Wisconsin, being there two weeks, being named the team captain on a very, very blue-collar roster. Mm-hmm. Unheard of. Unheard of. Um, and just little tangibles, you know, wins, losses. Um, dynamic athlete from a standpoint, not the quickest, not the fastest, but knew how to play the position instinctually and, and was just, just the guy. Anybody you talk about. Um, another guy I, I could point out right now because I was a big part of it was in Cleveland with, with Mayfield. You know, I, I've been a lot of pro days and I've been around a lot of good teams and seen those guys work out. It was funny, like with him, you know, you hear about the leadership and, you know, the coaches love him, of course, the players love him, all that. But Matt is pro days and, and he, 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 all the guys there stretching beforehand, you know, getting loose and all that stuff. He comes walking in and just goes completely silent from the player standpoint, coach standpoint. The players start clicking their fingers, snapping their fingers, saying the guy, the man's here, it's time to go. And it just, wow. it, the, the whole energy level in the building, wow. from the player standpoint, just took off. It's like dad walked in, it's go time. You know, stuff like that, little things like that that you're around and you see, you know, that's what Russell Wilson had. When he walked in, it doesn't matter what was going on, everybody took notice. Okay, he's here, it's go time, it's business time. You know, and that's 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 unique for a quarterback. And again, those are the little intangibles, but they're huge when it comes to fourth quarter. You know, and, and, and you're playing in December and January, and you know what? You walk in that huddle, everybody looks at one guy, and they believe in him. You know, and I was lucky enough to start in the league with Brett Favre, and you're never out of the game, ever. Mm. You know, and I wasn't part of bringing him in there or nothing. I was a lowly, lowly area scout. But I know this: every Sunday, it doesn't matter if you're down 14 with five minutes left in the game. You really thought you're going to win, no matter what. It's all because of that one guy. Incredible. That's that's. And go ahead, take. Uh, can I give you one more? Uh, let's go, Bobby Wagner. Playmaker. Um, you know the, the, the guy Washington took this year reminds, reminds me a lot, a lot of him because it's not one of those things where you watch a tape and you get done with it and you're like, yeah, that's a good game. You know, and then, then you look at the stats for the game, you're like, holy smokes, he had 12 tackles? <laughs> you know, when you go back and you look at it and shit, excuse my language, yeah, he had 12 <laughs> tackles. It's like, wow, you know, and it, it, they're, they're unique. I, I mean, Bobby was so unique just from the standpoint, of course, the way he worked out and tested those numbers were off the chart. That doesn't make a football player. It's part of the puzzle and adds to it, but just his instincts, his durability, his toughness, his, his fact that, you know, not just first to run at him, but the, the run away from him. His ability dropping in coverage, making plays on ball and coverage. The fact that he's an every down linebacker playing inside. They're few and far between nowadays, and, and, they're, and they're hard to find. 
and, and I think Washington found one. I really do. And I'm not stating a lot because Bobby's been a really good player mm. for multiple years. You know, but I think Davis has a chance to be that guy just because it's so unique what they bring physically. And then you throw in the intangibles with the instincts and the fact that he's an every down player. You don't worry about him on third downs, you know, in third and long. You don't need to get him off the field. You don't need to worry about so much bringing your nickel in or your dime package in. Now, some guys are going to do it no matter what because that's just their defense. But he's, he can play every snap in any defense. And, and that's really, really hard to find nowadays on middle linebackers. Really, really hard to find. Okay, so I want to – this wasn't a written-down question for us, but since you kind of – you made a, a comparison to Washington's pick in the first round, I wanted to – ask if I could ask you about one other or well, two other picks from this past year that Washington made. And if not, I'll keep moving. You go ahead. I, I like the draft a lot. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. That's good to hear. So I'll go with, uh, they had two picks in the third round. I'll go with first asking about wide receiver Deami Brown from uh, North Carolina. Yeah. I'm not just making this up. And I, I wish I could show you my report. <laughs> I had him as a late one, early two. I think he's the steal of the draft where they got. Wow. The steal of the draft. Wow, okay. <laughs> That's really I think, cool. I think, I think he's, got, he's got size, he's got the physical skills, he's got the play speed and big playability to be a legit number one when it's all said and done. That's really encouraging to hear. Um, the other player I'll ask about is his fellow third-round counterpart. This is one where you know, lots of times fans can get caught off guard because, you know, the wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks are easier to keep up with. The cornerbacks sometimes not so much. But Benjamin St. Juiced. You know, again, basketball and all that stuff, playing to it, you know, he he was a guy for me because, you know, I get my names from teams and it's not just always the top guys. You know, I'll get some mid-round guys and that kind of stuff. But he was right. off the radar for some of the teams I, I was working for this last year. So I didn't really get to know him until later on. Yeah. Um, you know, but what I saw, you know, it's different than like with Brown. Cause I saw Brown dominate game after game. But when with him, he grew, he grew on the standpoint. Who's making that play? You know, because you watch so many tapes, and all of a sudden, guys that stand out on defense or offense, you know, guy that keeps showing up on tape. You're like, wow, he kept showing up. You know, so I can't really comment on his overall abilities, but I know what I saw and what he he, he, he took control of certain games and, and that's unique as a DB, especially as a corner, um, you know, and then all of a sudden you throw in the medals and that kind of stuff, you know, it sounds like a good fit, you know, and you can never have enough DBs, never, especially corners, never. Right, okay, go ahead, Tate. So, so since you just teased us a little bit with, uh, with a Damon Davis comparison, can you elaborate a little bit more? Because I know a lot of people compare him to Darius Leonard. Um, what do you think? I, I, I compare him to Bobby coming out, you know, and, okay. and I was lucky enough to be part of that draft, you know, in Seattle when we took Bobby. Just the fact that his medicals fit, fit the position, which is really cool. It's not the telling sign of everything. But then to watch him, how fluid he moved around the field. Uh, was he the biggest take-on guy and, 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 and defeat and shed it? No. But, you know, what he was, he could identify, he could see the ball. Mm-hmm. Very seldom is he taking the wrong step. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, you see the play speed. The boys are forty, and that's cool. And you guys run good forties, and that's cool. Play speed's play speed. So you put a, you put pads on, you put a helmet on them, you put instincts in their body to see how they react as soon as the ball snaps. Very dynamic, identifying the ball. And then you watch the coverage. I mean, he, he, he honestly, I mean, he moved around like a safety. You know, back pedaling, flipping. You know, planting and driving. Everything came really natural to him. 
you know, and that's nowadays we go against offenses that are throwing, you know, different formation at you, motions, you know, misdirections, left and right. It's all deception, 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 but yet he was still identifying week in and week out and still making plays. Like I said, I get done the game, I feel like, yeah, solid game. Mm-hmm. Look at the stats and all of a sudden it said 11 sacks or 11 tackles. I'm like, son of a gun. So I go back and watch it again. Oh, he did have 11, you know, and Every now and then you make the wild play because of this play speed, you know, reading, reacting towards the sideline, running the guy down. You know, a little bit like Patrick Willis when we took him in San France, like, wow, he came out of nowhere. That's severe play speed. You can't teach that stuff. That's God-given. You know, but unique things, where where things came easy to him athletically, very easy to him. And the more he gets around pro-style systems, pro-coaches, and understanding what's asked of him and what his identifiers are and knowing that he's not just the best athlete anymore on the field that the other ones around him are, I think he gets comfortable. I think he's got a chance to have a really good career. That's exciting. Like I said, every down linebacker, you know, can play inside. And he can play him outside. He's that athletic. You know, he's very he's very unique. That's exciting to hear. Um, it's, it's been a position of need in this team, in this city, for a while. Um, I think I've got one last one on this previous draft, not specific to Washington, but I'd just like to know uh, the quarterback developments that happen is always so interesting, and I'd just kind of like to know where you would rank this quarterback draft class based on what we've seen in the last several years. Well, I think if you rank it from the standpoint of multiple years of success, very low. Okay. Very low. But again, but, that, but that's not to tell all at all. Right. You know, things have things proved out that that's not it. And like, like with Mac, it wasn't his fault. I mean, he had two in front of him. You right. know, so, I mean, he could be all as good as he wanted to be and as great as they thought he might be his senior year. He still wasn't going to beat out that leader, the, that, the, the, the team captain, so to say. Right. You know, so, you know, but, but again, you know, it's, you know, you can say one year wonders, you know, with, I mean, Zach, you know, I mean, they didn't know if sure he was going to be the starter going into this last year. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in for a battle, you know, with Mac. You know, they had to have an offseason. Who knows if that true freshman would have beat him out? Right. You know, I mean, they went find out this year with an offseason how good that, that young guy is. But things happen for a reason. But again, it's such a position that's so unique to NFL that you push those guys up the board and you hate to do it and everybody will tell you before like right now this time of year we're not going to push the quarterback up we're not going to push <laughs> what well, you do and the thing yeah. that happens is some of these owners you know all of a sudden they're saying well Matt you know I heard it's kind of like Tom Brady like whoa come on <laughs> okay he plays the same position right? they're both right handed they're both taller guys you know right. to put that put that on his shoulders is not fair whatsoever now, did he have a great year? Certainly. Does he get credit for that? No doubt about it. And again, we talked about it. He had phenomenal talent around him. But still, he won games. He won undefeated. And that's, that's really, really cool. That means he's got something in him that you want on your team at any position, especially a quarterback. You right. know, but does that make him going to be a really good player for multiple years? Who knows? Who it, knows? Right. I, I personally think he's one of those guys that needs talent around him, which mm-hmm. that's 80%, 85% that position in the NFL. You know, so a lot depends, again, the structure. Does he have the same quarterback coach? Does he have the same mm-hmm. offense coordinator, same head coach? Are they running the same system? You know, are they putting importance on the run game, knowing that they need that defensive back? They want, you know, to, they want to get that left tackle, understand they got two that they like. You know, type of thing. What's their 
their image going forward is a win right now or is a win three years from now type. So, mm-hmm. I mean, but it's, you know, every draft is, is a good draft. It all depends what you do with it. Every every round, every pick, there's going to be somebody on the board ends up being a good NFL football player. It doesn't mean the front line starter could be a mm-hmm. quality, quality backup that gives you three or four starts a year. Right. If it's a lights out teams guy, you know, it's one of your core teams guy that helps you win games on Sunday. You know, so quarterbacks the same way. Do you reach? Yes. Will people tell you they reach? Heck yeah. Do they want to admit <laughs> it? No, but it's true. And you don't you, you don't want to draft for need. No one wants right. to draft for need. You know, but at times you have no choice but to. Right, right, okay. So there's a situation. I've got just a couple more for you. I appreciate you being generous with your time. Uh, there's a situation going on in Houston, right, with the disgruntled quarterback. It's a very unique situation of a player who's at the top of his position being available and then can be acquired potentially for a really significant amount of assets who also has some off-the-field concerns, right? If you're in an NFL front office and you're looking at that I guess my first question is, how do you balance the talent of the player with the potential off-field? But then also, what do you think about giving up a boatload of assets for a player who is very talented at the most important position? Well, I I, 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 I want to tread very lightly on this. Okay. Um, You know, because what's going on off the field, no one knows what I mean, you know, and... I don't want to touch it whatsoever. I, I, I just know this. Lucky enough, I've never been in that situation with that bit of a player. One, first of all, be traded. And second of all, having some background issues like that. So thank goodness I was never in that. I feel for the GM and the owner mm-hmm. and coach that's involved in that. That's, that's part of the business. I mean, it's part of life. But right. um, I, I, I just know as a pure talent, the guy is a legit, legit winning starting quarterback mm-hmm. who's been on an average team and you know I, I do a lot of this when I was in college watching quarterbacks they're an average team on offense does he make them a good team just because he's a quarterback and right. I think that the thing is Watson he made that offense good because he was on it he right. was the leader of that offense and he could make plays when a lot of guys can't make plays either either sitting in the pocket or getting outside the pocket either running or throwing on the run he, he's in his prime right now and value on that they're talking three three ones <laughs> yep. heck yeah heck yeah <laughs> because you know first of all for a guy like that to be available that's proven in the NFL at his age it is few few and far between right. I mean you're getting a, a perennial pro bowler in his prime you know and everything that I know people in the league that I know that I trust players coaches personnel guys say he's nothing but quality quality person you know from the standpoint of locker room teammate off season, in season, you know, community stuff, all that stuff checks the boxes, which is great, you know. But again, the other stuff is the other stuff. But you got to be careful when you're evaluating. Again, like you said, resigning your own guys early, extending mm-hmm. them. That's why you got to identify if there are red flags or possible red flags coming up. You're going to know about it in house before anybody else knows about it. Meaning media, meaning you know, meaning other teams, um, meaning law stuff. Usually, you're going to have a feel in-house, listen, there's something going on here, might come back and get us in a year from now, or something, then you try to you try to fix it, you try to, you know, not hide it, but try to get the player some help, if it's something with alcohol or drugs, or something with domestics, mm-hmm. or something, you know, there's something going on, family-wise, you know, you try to help more than hurt, and that's what you need to do as, as a team, as part of your your job as a personnel and a coaching staff and an ownership staff is to put these guys in a situation to be successful. And a lot of times that's helped them off the field. You know, but again, not just with the Watson thing, but 
when you when you identify there might be red flags, you do bring that up with the owner. You bring that up with the powers that be. Listen, you know we we love Matt's player. We know he's our best player on offense. We know we win games because of him. We lose games if he's off the field. We understand that. But also, this might transpire. This mm. might affect your organization going forward, year three, four, and five, not so much year one or two. So that all plays into it. But again, you know, you never know what's going on. You never know what's true, not true. And media is media, social media is right. social media, you know. But it's something you have to be aware of because it's part of the business. Right. And, and you know, half the stuff you hear, especially before the draft as a GM, mm. it's not true. It's not true. It's either another team making up or an agent making it up to try to hurt the guy's draft stock, or the team wants you to pass on so they can draft him. You know, so you got to take the good with the bad and just listen. You know, let it play itself out and see what happens. Let it fall. But he's a really good talent. Right. Um, he will put nine nine percent of the teams love to have him as a starting quarterback right. right now and know that they have a chance to be a playoff slash Super Bowl contending team. Right. Right. It's, it is very rare for that to happen. Uh, so you look at uh, the strength of the Washington team right now is the defensive line, and that's kind of the core of the team at the moment. They don't have that quarterback position settled. They drafted four first-round picks four years in a row. You obviously want to keep that group together for as long as you can, but you know you can't forever. How do you, you know, if you were you know, in a position with a team like that where you had a strong group and you needed to keep them together as long as you could, how do you go about doing that? Or do you look to potentially at some point trade one and get assets and try to uh, stock up again? Well, it, it, it depends how you feel as, as, as an overall organization. Are you close to winning? Are you close mm-hmm. to having all three, all three assets, offense, defense, special teams, close to being similar where you can win with one of those groups each week? Right. Um, now, you, you, you know your front four and front seven, you're going to feel really good about That's awesome. I, I remember when we were in Seattle, when we, we were winning Super Bowls and going to Super Bowl last month, of course, but our back end, you know, Legion of, of Boom, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Yep. You know, but that's our front two of the pass rush. But it was unique because we knew we could not keep this whole thing together. We could. It's impossible. And we're lucky enough to be able to draft well enough and also get a couple, you know, either trades or sign trades to a couple pass rushers. They made that side really good. Well, we had we identified then. Listen, we can win on defense. Now let's get an offense. We can win just with offense. And if, we knew we had the quarterback, you know, but he was young. You know, there's still gonna be some growing things. Yeah. You know, Russell, of course, but you know, Marshawn. Ed Marshawn was huge. You know, and all of a sudden now we're like, listen, we don't need the best number one or the best number two. Have the payment for agency, you know, or draft someone early. You know, because we have quality receivers. We have a, a good enough number one, a good enough number two, a good enough number three to win with. You know, tight end, we don't need the best tight end. We, we, could, we could save some money there. Well, do we need to identify this D-line now, like what's abortions, you know, situation? Which one do we have to have? Which one can we not live without going forward? Meaning not just this year, but year three from now, year five from now. Whose durability has been a question mark the last two years? Who hasn't been injured? Who we feel like, you know, has another five legit years left in them? You know, then invest in that because... Usually those good players like that usually are the team leaders as well. You mm-hmm. need those guys in the offseason. Right. You need those guys in the locker room. You need them during the tough times. You need them to help pull you through because they'll get you through sooner than later. You know, and if all of a sudden you just have the prima donnas or the all about myself, you know, ESPN stuff like that, then they're going to hold you back, you know. So you have to identify, but you also got to realize your window with, the, with that good of a front is not going to be there always. Right, you know, you know, do you want to build something else to be like that going forward? You know, 
know, so everybody has their own philosophies, but I think if you got a good group together, you identify the right guys as leaders and, and guys that are going to help you win more and lose, not just now, but in the future. Those are guys you try to take care of. You can, you can go a little less at another position knowing that you're going to be really good at this position. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the D-line and the O-line, both, in my opinion, that's where everything starts and stops. Everything. Right. Good, bad, or indifferent. That's where, that's where the game's won and lost. Right. Okay. Um, personally, what is your favorite position to scout and why? Running back. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something I've always enjoyed. You know? Gotcha. I, I, I don't think you need the biggest, fastest, strongest, quickest. You need an instinctual guy. And I, and, um, I was lucky to be able to do this, but to draft the train forward in the third round because of the mm-hmm. medical. He, he would have gone earlier than that. And a lot right. of teams liked him. It wasn't like we just pulled it out of nowhere. But he wasn't the biggest, wasn't the fastest, wasn't the strongest. But he had it. The it mm-hmm. factor. You know, and just knowing that he's not going to go pull the combine up. You know, not even close. Matter of fact, people laughed at him when he ran four seven. You know, and I watched the tape. I said, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He has a football player. You can yeah. be successful at that position because of instincts and because of balance and lower body strength and path level. You know, mm-hmm. and you never back down from contact. You know, type of thing. And of course, he's had a great career. He, he deserved it. He's earned it and all that. But I think running back just because you don't have to be a special, special athlete to be a damn good football player. We won Super Bowls with Dorsey Levins in Green Bay. You know, we're looking at that Marshawn, Marshawn, but he wasn't a dynamic athlete. You know, mm-hmm. Marshawn was playing the position. He was just a football player playing the position. He's right. going to outwill everybody. Um, and those guys can play at that position and have success at that position, and it, it's cool to see. Right, okay. And then I'm wondering, uh, Andrew Brandt, he's a long-time you know, exec with the Packers, and he has this funny story he tells about a undrafted rookie who thought he had to pay his signing bonus when he was told $1,000. I'm wondering uh, if you just have any, any funny stories from all your years in the league and dealing with players or otherwise, little things like that. Well, speaking of little things, Andrew Brandt, he's got really little feet and hands. <laughs> <laughs> I know Andrew I was with Green Bay. So right, know. right. <laughs> he's, he's a good guy. That's what really um, You know, there's tons of stories. You know, the, the, the thing I love about football is the fact that, you know, everybody puts so much emphasis on being a first rounder, being a second rounder, being a third rounder. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to be in this business long enough where we've missed on early picks, of course, and I've been a ringleader, some of them, you know. But nailing some late round picks or even college free agents because you know once you walk on that field for training camp you know guys can do it tomorrow you know young guys that's what's stuck about last year not having really you know the, the, the preseason and all that stuff because a lot of young guys can get the opportunity but they're all in the same playing field now you guys are veterans that are making this much money and this year in the county you know 40 45 guys have already made the roster you know right but there's a there's a spot it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's a third rounder if it's a college free agent yeah the coaches they, they want the guys going to help them look successful. And as a coach, you want the best player to help you make look successful. So it's, it's wide open, you know. And I've been in situations where, you know, we're we going to cut that fifth-round guy and keep the college free agent. And coach coach me says, you want to win? Yeah. Okay, we'll cut him. We'll, we'll keep the free agent. <laughs> you know, type of thing. because you got yeah. pride and you got ego involved. But also, again, it comes down to the team thing. Yeah. What's best for the team? What's mm-hmm. best for the whole? You know, because that's what matters. Right. That's all said. You know, you're going to miss on draft pick. There's no doubt about it. You hope you don't hit this too many times. But it's great from the standpoint that just because you're a college free agent, it doesn't take you out of the mix of making the team. You know, the practice squad yeah. helps out a lot. It's great for them to keep the numbers up this year. Yeah. Because it gives a lot of young guys an opportunity. I've seen multiple of 
you know, that are just afterthoughts all of a sudden getting camped. Like, we don't, you know, if we cut this guy, is he going to clear waivers? Yeah. Well, we can't blame him, we can't blame him in preseason because we're getting tape bombed. Teams are going to see him. We'll <laughs> play him. We'll stick him through. We'll get him on the practice squad. And then he's ready, you know, because he sees us all the time. And it's awesome because the guys that come in, they're usually late round picks and the agents have always been good players, you know, yep. in high school and college. And they got chip on their shoulder. Yeah. Like, why is He's a second rounder. I'm a seventh rounder. What's the difference here? I'm going to prove that, that they screwed up, which is awesome. That's what you wanted to do. <laughs> right. You know, it's all like, and you want the most competition. You probably get at any position from any player. It doesn't matter if it's a 10 year bet or if it's a, if it's a, if it's a free agent rookie. Yeah. You know, compete, compete, compete. That's what it's about. And that's why the game's so cool. And you only got so many opportunities each year to prove it. You know, where, yeah. like I said, baseball, basketball, you got multiple, multiple times. You have a bad month and you're fine. Football, you can't do that. That uh, the concept of not playing a young guy in the preseason to to not show much film on him so you can stash him it's very interesting. I've never thought of that, but that's that's. Oh, a, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, it happens a lot. I, it happens a lot. Gotcha. I, I can tell you. I can tell you a funny story. You know, Waller for, for the Las Vegas Raiders now. Yes. Diane. Yes. John Gruden John Gruden got on him. He went out. They're they're, they're playing the Ravens in preseason. And, and I know, uh, this is a true story, and, and I know Ozzie, you know, what was the jam for for, uh, for Baltimore? Mm. You know, they said, okay, we're going to work him out. Well, I want to work him out before anybody's on the field, you know, because he's, he's come off an injury. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, John, John Gruden walks out and sees the workout. So he walks to Ozzie and says, who's that? Yeah. And I was like, son of a bitch. Right there, he knew he lost him. He lost him. Wow. Next day, he ready to play him. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it goes to show, I mean, you know, in preseason, especially you got a young guy that, you know, it's not, you got a good starter, you got a, maybe a good backup this year, year three or year four, and you hope they hit it this year, whatever. Yeah. But the young guys, if you see, I they identify some traits that show them to be a good player going forward because you got them on a rookie deal. You know, you want to keep them around if you can. Now, you just can't make it up. I mean, they got to prove that they're worthy of that. But there's yep. a lot of times you hide guys in preseason games because they'll say, like, you know, so-and-so was a seventh rounder. He didn't play last, you know, third preseason game or the fourth preseason game. He must be getting cut now. Wow. It really does seem like there is so much of a game to it, especially around the draft and then the players you got in the draft. I mean, Darren Waller is one of the best tight ends in the NFL, so that's that's pretty incredible. Um, okay, so the very last one I'll ask you is, uh, you've just been around the league for a while. I don't know uh, your direct experience, how much you've had with Ron Rivera, but I'm sure in some ways you have. I'd just love to hear your thoughts on him and him being in charge of things in Washington and the culture he's changing. Well, uh, I don't know him personally. I really don't. I've heard a lot of good things about him. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I remember as a player, you know, and, and mm-hmm. not being the, the, the greatest player, but being kind of an overachieving type player, mm-hmm. um, which I respect a lot because I think I'm like an overachieving type scout. You just have to do more and more and more to keep up with the Joneses. But I know Ted Thompson, you know, who's passed away, a good friend of mine, interviewed him for the Packer job when it, he was hired and had coach for Hyde McCarthy. And he raved about him just as a person, you know, mm-hmm. his, his, his structure, his makeup. His, his idea of, of organization from the standpoint, this is what I'm doing training camp, this is my days in training camp, this is what I'm planning on doing on this day and that day and that day. So he was very, very, very well prepared. Um, and then since he's been the head coach, since he's been in the league and, and being around players, because I've had a lot of players, and all players talk to each other. You know, mm-hmm. quite a bit. Right. And they all swear about him, not just as a player's coach, meaning that they can come to him and they got issues or whatever. 
but just being a consistent, classy guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not about him, it's about the team. It's about the other coaches, you know, it's about right. the players. It's about not the individuals and some of the parts, you know. And I think that's so important nowadays to be able to relate to the new generation because they've changed a lot in the last 10 to 15 years. And it's going to keep changing, you know, with more yeah. media and this NIL things going on in college now with young mm-hmm. kids getting paid. You know, yep. all that stuff can play into it. Like, I'm a superstar. Yep. I made $500,000 when I was a junior in college, you know, type <laughs> right. of thing. Right. Well, you've done nothing. You've done nothing, yep. you know. But still, you got to deal with this. But he sounds like the guy, like that person, I don't know him, but everything I hear is very, very positive, And he's great for the organization. And understands again, it's some of the parts, it's not the individual. Right. Uh, Scott, I could ask you questions all day. I really could. I appreciate you <laughs> being diligent, answering them for us. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. I don't know if you have anything in particular you wanted to talk about at the end, anything you're, you're working on or anything you're in support of. can imagine that there's there's things about being in a front office you miss but i can also imagine you probably enjoy on sundays being able to sit back and just watch as many games uh for the course of the day as you can well i, I know this i wake up on monday mornings i don't have computer stress in my life or, <laughs> right <laughs> or, or, or pure adulation in my life <laughs> i'm consistent and i just get up and i start watching tape again i start working on the guys for that week so okay you know but yeah there's things i miss you know, i miss i'm very lucky to still be six weeks away can't wait excited for the preseason this year uh thank you again scott i hope sometime in the future to be able to talk again but i hope you have a great season this year of scouting and just watching and, and doing what you love so thank you again yeah, but thank you guys very much have a good day. thanks you too save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.